Motivation. It's a fickle beast. We all want more, but it has to be cultivated, and like everything, takes time. This is episode three of Hero with a Thousand Faces. The mission? To boldly follow the hero's journey and learn from where others have gone before us. Today, I am talking to Mike from the counselling group Talk About It Mate about life, hardship, and motivation. Hi, Mike. Hello. How are you today? Good, thanks. Yeah, just done a, just come off a podcast myself this morning that I recorded for my group, so uh, I feel like oh, fantastic. I'm, I'm warmed up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> formed up the vocal cords. Yeah. Uh, where are you joining us from? Uh, I live in Salford at the moment. Okay, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm down uh, south at the moment, uh, near Reading. In Bracknell. Um, so uh, I wanted to start off by uh, talking about where you started off, really, with your with your current journey and uh, what you're trying to do. Like, where, where did it all begin? Uh, well, I suppose it began when I started to um, make changes in my own life, but I struggled with my mental health from a, from my teens to uh, my late 20s when I ended up having, a men- like, a mental breakdown. And, yeah. Uh, you know, that, you know, wasn't, I suppose, what you'd call rock bottom. And then it was a, a series of changes that I've made. But then I obviously had some other problems along the way. But throughout that journey, which I would say is about five years, I've, I've grown considerably, so much so that now I can offer support to others through my own organisation. Okay, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so I, did you have a moment um, when you... Or something which which pulled you out of that original state, uh, the the nervous breakdown which you suffered. Was there, was there some moment which uh, sort of inspired you to, um, I don't know, to make a change? Um, I suppose so. I think it, it was after, actually after I had the breakdown. It was um, probably about eighteen months after that. In that I'd started to make changes. I'd changed a, a job that I didn't like, where I was teaching, and I'd got out of quite a um a stressful relationship and I'd actually met somebody new but it would it, it all happened quite organically however I thought that I was getting better which I was but then I uh you know kind of uh oh, I don't know what the word to use here I had another like a uh, relapse almost and I uh went to a friend's wedding I got in a bad state I drank too much I was very vulnerable I was suicidal it it it, it was a real uh, it was a real, obviously a very tough situation. So the next day, I suppose, when I got back and told my partner, who is now my wife, what had happened, I believe that was the start of really, really making those changes for me, you know? Okay, yeah. So you sort of had a, was it a rock bottom sort of feeling? Like, okay, I don't want it, I don't want this to happen again. So something's got to change. Was it that sort yeah, of thing? Yeah, that was really exactly something that's got to change because it's repeated patterns of getting myself in the bad situations and even though I'd had this, um, you know, nervous breakdown um, before, which was horrible, and I wouldn't wish that on anyone, uh, this rock bottom was different. I was actually contemplating taking my own life because I thought this is never going to get better. So I got through that, um, and I know some people could be triggered by things like that, so I won't go into it too much. But I got through that, and um, then the next day I was very, very quiet. And my, my partner wasn't there, luckily, and I think partly because I knew that this was coming, so I didn't. Uh, pushed to get invited to that event and when I got home um, I told her everything I just said this is what happened and, and then it was a case of 
what are we going to do to get better? And then it was real changes for me. You know, I felt like I was doing what I needed to do to, to show other people around me that I got better. However, inside, I hadn't I'd done anything to address the root causes of why I felt like that. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny how that's, in a way, sort of the most negative, perhaps, time of your life or one of the most negative experiences kind of blossomed into this um, quite positive change, really, I suppose. Um, Absolutely. So it's funny how that works. Yeah. It is funny, isn't it? Because I've been reflecting on the, uh, upon it in my counselling work recently, and I did this like timeline, and it was full of ups and downs, and you know peaks and troughs. And I just realised that without the the dips, I couldn't achieve the highs. And it's it's a it's a warming, but also a troubling thing at the same time. Yeah, I was I was writing about this the other day actually uh, in the blog, and um, just sort of thinking about how if you don't appreciate the whole spectrum of of what there is in life, which is a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And if you, you know, if you don't appreciate the downs as well, then mm. you spend a lot of your life slightly miserable, really, don't you? And, it, and it's not like you have to enjoy the lows, is it? But it's just maybe uh, accepting them for, for what they are in a kind yeah. of, um, yeah, in perhaps a passive way. Or, Acceptance uh, is, a, is a word that um, it's always going to take it takes a lot of effort to get used to be accepting things and even now the more and more I do my exploration from a place of wellness because this is the point I'm trying to make people should be doing early intervention rather than only addressing their problems when they get to a breakdown that's what I used to do and that is not that's not going to help in the long term and except now I'm looking back at you know on those past events with fresh eyes I'm a lot more compassionate to myself and I'm a lot more accepting of that the part that they played in the process. I uh, I meant to ask you about that actually a bit uh, a bit further into it, the interview, but um, so you say uh, it's best to start from a place of wellness. So is that would you recommend sort of everyone had this sort of uh, I don't know if it, what to call it really intervention or kind of type of uh, communication in a group or or one to one at some point in their life, or is it is it for people in a specific mental state would you say i think that frontline services are for people in a specific mental state whereas what we're offering here is the, is what we call peer support so basically if you are up front um, or you start to open up or, or listen to others around shared problems and once you see the person next to you has also experienced something like that that it, there's like a there's this uh, you can that can solidify you a bit and it provides like a, a brotherhood camaraderie around that and we don't want to get people to get to crisis point and a lot of people draw a line and say like oh it's, there's people with mental health issues and there's people with not mental health issues as if there's two imaginary camps whereas mental health affects everybody we all have mental health so let's go towards thinking that it's not just mental health it's health you go to the gym for your physical health and i know you you run marathons or and all those things but like why don't people you know practice their mental health like they would exercise for their physical health if that makes sense yeah it makes perfect sense absolutely uh, i think it's something that's becoming more acceptable to talk about now isn't it um i think it was even um sort of uh figureheaded by one of the royals at one point um uh, it's become so it's become much more mainstream really the idea of um it being acceptable to talk about your issues and things and because we're quite a stiff upper lip society aren't we so it's uh classically probably not something that's uh that's been done yeah, um, so it's nice that this is changing. Absolutely, I think in the last two years it's changed considerably. And yeah, the, it was a bit. It was a watershed moment, I suppose, when the Royals got involved. And there was a documentary on BBC about men and mental health and football, which Prince William was involved in. 
which was really good because I, um, I was actually close to being involved in that program. But uh, I would have met him as well, which would have been great. But it is great when they lend their support to things like this. Yeah. So, but regarding your own uh, personal journey, if we just go back to that for a second, um, did you feel any sort of resistance when? Uh, to, well, I presume you did when you when you decided to make a change. Um, what what resistance was there? What blocks were there in your way, really? Well, it was everything really because you're going against uh, the way you've always been for a long, long time. You're going against your instincts and your history. Uh, and it's very difficult to do that. Like for me, I I had a lot, I had a lot of negative self talk. I'm very very hard on myself. I'm a quite um, an active thinker. I would say like a high functioning kind of anxiety. That doesn't mean I'm intelligent. It just means I'm quite high functioning. And yeah. the things I would say to myself, like I'd started to believe, you know, I'm, I'm useless. I'm a loser. Like you know, I wouldn't say them around other people, but it would if anybody who could notice would know that I had very bad. So very low self-esteem and so to get out of that hole uh, which I was in I, I was always looking I was, for someone else to come along you know like a knight on a horse to come along and save me and yeah. that's why I wasn't able to improve because people were coming and helping me but only when I got to like a, a crisis point and now I'd got to a point where for me I'd addressed that I started to lose weight because I used to be quite a big lad and when that happened, I started to think, hang on, I can start to affect changes myself. And it kind of snowballed from there. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, what would be your biggest single challenge, would you say, um, in, your, in the whole process? Oof. Um, oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think just, I think facing, facing fears and... Um, I think setting up the talk about it, mate, which came from my own experiences, but then I, I did it as kind of a pet project for 18 months. And then I was like, oh, I'm not happy in my, my work as a teacher. And then I had to make a decision. Is this something that I'm going to pursue properly? And like, I'm still not there, yeah, that, there yet. It's not like my uh, full-time career yet. But that, along with deciding to become a counsellor and overcoming all my feelings of not feeling good enough and imposter syndrome, that's probably been the biggest challenge whilst also monitoring my own, you know, things and controlling myself more. So I uh, saw on your site, uh, I think you mentioned actually, you started off in uh, in primary, is that right? Mm. In primary education? Still, yeah, I'm, I am still a yeah. primary teacher. I'm still a, you are. Like a reg registered supply teacher, but obviously now we're furloughed. But um, yeah, I, I yeah. will do, I will carry on teaching, I suppose, you know, to pay the bills. But um, ultimately I'd like to, if I do go back in working school, be on my own terms where I'm delivering possible mental health support at the, at the point of entry for children. So is teaching like classically seen as a sort of um, a helping career where you are sort of on the front line, um, you know, improving young people's lives. So what what is the difference between what you were doing in your teaching capacity and what you're, what you're starting to do now in your kind of therapeutic capacity? Um this means more to me this is more passionate to me what i'm doing I'm, I'm more passionate about what i do in terms of like you know people always say teaching is rewarding and for me i think i went into teaching because i think i just i just took to it naturally but for me i always like working with the children but i had no love for the job in terms of i think 30 percent of the time is the teaching and the children and 75 percent of the time is stuff that i just didn't care for and it, you know I, my heart wasn't in it and i could see there was a lack of 
uh, empathy with leaders and and I just didn't have a lot of trust in in the whole profession but I think that teachers are amazing people I just I'm, I, I can say now that I just don't think that I was suited to it in that capacity whereas what I'm doing as a counsellor it's come directly from my own experiences I've got this real connection to it it's an absolute privilege to sit with people and and you know let them speak and just like be that companion with them on their journey this means so much more and the groups that i run the men's peer support groups even in like nine weeks how far those guys have come it's a massive sense of pride for me yeah in nine weeks you say they've uh, they've improved a load have they mm. because yeah. we you know like everybody we have to adapt to going online you know during this pandemic and uh we were about to you know launch our groups physically we just started them and then it hit and then we had to adapt and to be fair it, we've taken to it like ducks to water like the guys there is a really close-knit group yet they're welcoming to new members and people are really exploring their feelings around certain topics in fact my like my dad has been coming to the meetings and he's out, out in the isle of man and uh you know we we've we've been apart for many years and and we've come quite close together because he's like 70 and he started to open up about his feelings around certain topics, which I think is absolutely incredible. I'm like really proud of him. So your uh, your groups, are they solely for men? Uh, we have men only groups and we've recently added women only groups as well. And then on weekends, we have a kind of just like a mess around, uh, like a quiz, you know, like a Zoom quiz variety hour. Um, but yeah, initially just it started out as men, but talk about me as a whole has always done a range of events for men and women. But uh, I think the men's specific support groups were very, very needed. So that's what we're pursuing uh, as our main focus because uh, it's needed and we can also pursue possible funding along the way to expand our operations. Yeah. And uh, so what do you think? Our... Um... I'm trying to think how to phrase the question. So mm -hmm. are, are there problems which uh, men are, well, I suppose men are more comfortable sharing with other men that they wouldn't in a mixed group, do you think? Possibly, possibly, yeah. I think um, they might not want to share that in front of women in case they might think that, I don't know, might make, it might make them seem like they're less of a man, I don't know. But um, yeah, just sometimes... A small group of of similar, you know, there's a similarity that you're all men. That's the one thing that brings you together. Your own experiences might be wildly different, but I think it's a, it breaks down a potential barrier straight away. And do you, do you see the term um, toxic masculinity bounded about a lot? Um, is that something which uh, you find is uh, prevalent in uh, the, the people you speak to in the groups? Uh, in the, the demographic of the guys in our groups, absolutely not. Uh, in terms of um, where we're coming from, a lot of the guys from my network, uh, some guys similar backgrounds, quite um, some of these guys are quite far along on their journey. They're quite well read into certain topics. So um, in this this idea of toxic masculinity is a very difficult one. It's a bit of a hot potato in that, like, what is masculinity? Because it, it's such a broad spectrum that there's no one set way of being a man. And uh, I think being a man is being open about things and and not and, and not being I don't know about language on this podcast, but, but I say don't be a dick. Yeah, fair enough. That's yeah. kind of like my 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 one rule really. And uh, whether you, that means you're a, you're a tough guy or you're other kind of guys like 
I don't know, as long as you're not being a dick, then you can kind of be whatever you want to be, not harming other people. But it is such a broad spectrum that toxic masculinity might be a label that puts off guys who are um, historically or more traditionally uh, fitter, tougher. You know, that's just naturally where they are from their communities and their and it might put them off. It might make them think that it's wrong to be a man. So there's there's two sides to it, I suppose. It's a difficult topic. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? I think um, we're, you know, I think we're redefining, really, aren't we? Sort of uh, what it is to be a man, and maybe uh, women had this more earlier, earlier on in the previous de- uh, previous century, and and now masculine. It's the time for masculinity, really, and trying to take away some of those sort of masculine tropes and so, and say you know, question whether we need them anymore and how useful they are. But also, mm. like you say, some of them, some men are very masculine, very, you know, very uh, traditionally masculine. And that is um, part of their identity, which is exactly. fair enough. And you can't label it solely as toxic masculinity. But, um, I've seen it argued that uh, a lot of men are not doing traditionally, like fulfilling roles for themselves at the moment. So if you imagine traditionally, you'd be out doing something with your hands, quite active, you know, a sense of accomplishment. And then now we're doing quite uh, sedentary sort of roles. Um, so especially men who are all about their movement and fitness, they're, they're not getting that box ticked for themselves. Yeah, it must be incredibly frustrating. And I think frustration is a theme that runs through a lot of men. Uh, and say, where's your outlet for that? And that's it. Like, I, I hope that we've talked about it, mate. We can kind of bring in lots of different guys. So guys who might be more masculine, you know, in appearance or the way that they just are uh, as 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 opposed to guys who, like I myself would say I'm not that masculine and I've always felt a little bit uh, if I compare myself to masculine guys I'm putting myself down there aren't I and so I shouldn't use that as a yardstick because what is being a man but it's hard isn't it it's almost swinging from one way to the other way and then you don't want anybody to feel that they don't have a place yeah yeah there's a there's a spectrum like with everything I suppose isn't there yeah um, like the, like for femininity for a traditionally feminine woman, and I suppose some you some women are guilted out of that traditional role mm-hmm. um, because it's not seen as feminist. Whereas if it's where you're comfortable, I suppose it's okay, you know. Um, yeah, and it's all about being authentic yeah. and and finding your authentic self, and that often takes a long time in in terms of exploration. For myself, like five year process, therapy, training to be a therapist, running support groups, and I'm only just kind of settling on this authentic version of myself, which is less of a people pleaser, it's being more unapologetically me. And, and it's difficult because it, it's, it's fear, there's fear of changing, but there's also fear of, be, of people accepting you as your true self. Sure, because you've never tried it out before, maybe. Exactly. You know, so you know how it's going to be taken. Um, but this, this podcast is like primarily framed around, around um, sort of self-development and motivation. And obviously mm-hmm. you're primarily framed around sort of helping others. and um, and uh, yeah, seeing what you can do in the community or in a community which you're creating. So, like, um, how do like your own self development and and helping others connect? I think they go hand in hand. I think like you know when people say uh, I practice what I preach. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. So I like to think of myself as like a a middleman or an everyman. Like, I'm very very ordinary and average. Like in 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 many ways and and in a way i'm quite proud of that because i don't buy into trends too much or i'm getting to know myself well if i want to do something i'll do it for me 
So I've recently, in the, say the last two years, um, I'd say I've done a bit of yoga, I've done a bit of Pilates, meditation, and I'll try those things out and then act as like a conduit for the people in my community. Um, like we got a, a lady to come on and do 15 minutes uh, meditation at the end of our men's group. And, you know, half the guys in there have never, ever done that before in their lives. But, you know, I like to try new things out and go on these journeys myself. Um, but I'm also quite honest about how I feel throughout these journeys as well. So that's part of my own transparency, I think, feeds into the community and it inspires it in others. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So what about um, just thinking where to go now? Um, yeah, in terms of, I think a lot of people out there want to help other people, really. And there's a lot of goodwill at the moment. And it's perhaps not fully harnessed, I feel, in our society. Like um, a lot of people are looking for ways to to do good for the community, um, mm. but aren't finding those uh, outlets like what you've created, perhaps. Uh, so have you got any advice about how people can kind of satisfy that need? Um, I think volunteering is good for the soul, isn't it? I think that you could always start by volunteering and, and surrounding yourself with people in your network who are already doing good. So I, you know, I reach out and I record podcasts with people who who run other organisations. But also, yeah, it starts with yourself and it starts with getting in touch with your own values. And like nobody uh, is brought up as a child to hate, are they? That's something you learn and develop in you know from bad experiences in your life. So taking a step back and and practicing, uh, I like to call it courage, compassion, and connection. And they're, they're like the kind of values that run through what I talk about may do, but they're also my own personal values. And if I use them to inform what I do, then usually I'm a lot more satisfied with what I do. Can you tell us a bit more about the the values within Talk About It, mate? Yeah, of course. So first of all, uh, if you want to not happy about something or you want to make a change, like how like what I did is is to take the courage to take that first step. Now you don't have to complete it all in a day. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, the courage can just be showing up to that first meeting. For example, I went to a meeting about confidence and self-esteem and then I've, that spiralled into me starting my own group. Uh, I went to a men's weight loss football league and ended up losing like four stone. Like it's those first steps on the journey is courage. So you put yourself out there, you've done something differently than like what you did before. And then you start to develop um, compassion. And, and I think through doing that, you you... I used to be very hard on myself, but I thought, you know what, I'm trying here. I was showing myself compassion. If I didn't, if I wasn't able to run five kilometers straight away, I wasn't, you know, soon enough I was, but I started to show myself compassion. And, and once I started that, I was able to project that compassion outwards to others. It became um, a second nature for me. I think I always had it inside of me, but I'd activated it through my own journey. And then the final part being connection. Once I'd done all those other things, it, I found it very very easy to, to start connecting with people at a deeper level because I'd expose myself a bit to be vulnerable, but to be vulnerable is to be strong. And the connections that I made now, I'm, I'm making some really good, what I hope are lifelong connections in the case of some of the guys in our community. Okay, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so in terms of, uh, you're talking about uh, compassion uh, mm-hmm. to, to yourself, really. And yeah. it, it sort of reminded me of uh, one of the blogs I was writing recently on, on growth mindset mm-hmm. um, versus fixed mindset. And um, m- my thinking on it is uh, from early, uh, from an early age, really, we're, we're programmed into thinking in quite a fixed mindset about ourselves and saying, I, I'm either good at this or I'm bad at this. Yeah. I can or I can't, etc. cetera. Um, and then 
following that that you know follows you right the way through life and maybe if you weren't good at something as a young a young man or a young woman then um you'll assume you're not later in life even if that's you know not the case um is, is that something you found in your i mean you've seen people right the way through now haven't you really from primary up until you know older people i'm sure you're yeah. counseling and is that something you would say sort of sticks with people yeah i think it, it's linked to um self the way you view yourself and um like self-talk as well like if you label yourself as not being able to do something it almost becomes this like um because you said it so often it, you feel like it's become true like a black almost like a black and white thinking yeah, i'm good at this i'm bad at that and children do it a lot and it, it, that needs to be like challenged i suppose or do you need to that you say things like growth mindset obviously that's carol's work isn't it and and versus fixed mindset they do actually put into the curriculum in schools now in primary you know and, and, and resilience is, is a big buzz term in education uh from a counseling perspective um there's things like conditions of worth so you might feel that you're worth something if you're good at something you know like uh, I'll, I'll be accepted by my friends and family if i'm good at this or i have this car and i have this house and that often dictates the way people behave and they develop what's called a social mask. Um, and it also when you're making decisions, you're making them often from a, uh, what we call an external place, an external locus of evaluation. So that means that you're making decisions what you think you should be making based on where you feel your worth in your life. You know, and it's not really linked to what you truly want. You just feel it's the way you behave, almost an instinctive way. Whereas if you start to examine things and uh, be a little bit more self-reflective, which it can be a, a long and arduous and painful process, may I add, you start to then um, use what's called an internal locus of evaluation. And I've only started doing that myself, I think, in the last nine months or so. And that's where I'm making decisions based on what I think, what's important to me and what my values are. And that can be quite challenging in itself as well. So, yeah. It's, it's an interesting concept, isn't it? Because um, your own values and, and, and the values of your community, and, and often those have never been distinguished throughout history, have they? Because we lived so communally at some points in history in certain societies that, you know, they would be one and the same. Exactly. Um, but but now we it's important to draw a distinction, isn't it? Because there's so many micro societies that we're part of and we need to decide really which which values we're going to embrace and and who we're going to be as a result um, yeah embrace is a good word because when you embrace something you're doing it willingly and that, that there might be a lot of barriers that you've got smashed down to get to that stage because you're you're not doing it for your friends your family your society your class you know it's hard i work, grew up working class and by education i've kind of moved into middle class but i don't feel accepted in either group so now i have to kind of go off what i think is right for me not for what's right for all those other people yeah um yeah and finding that's just the, the process as you say it's a, a long process of sort of self-reflection and there's no there's no shortcuts i suppose is there no and that that's that's the issue really i think that you know before i had that i had that breakdown and i had that real dip where i was suicidal is that i thought i was doing the right things i was losing the weight I'd like started to go to a few meetings and I thought, you know what, this is enough. But really, I, I, the magnitude hadn't hit me yet of how bad it was going to get before it was going to get better. But I don't want that to put people off because actually the journey is important. It's the, the power of the journey. Like you say, the hero's journey. You have to go through some difficulty because otherwise, how do you know 
how far you can rise from it. Yeah, and you're kind of defined within it as well, aren't you? Like it, you can become a, a lot deeper as a person. Um, I was listening to one of your podcasts today, actually, where uh, you mentioned uh, Eckhart Tolle, and um, he talks mm. about that how the the pain uh, that people feel can really drive them to to introspection and to to finding something deeper and more significant. And that uh, and you you sort of mentioned at the beginning also with your with your breakdown. Um, mm. and how that was a catalyst for sort of an amazing change. So it's a, uh, it all comes full circle. It's a, it's an incredible process, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's about harnessing the the power of those moments there. But then you often, you know, you see successful people, and many of them, especially successful people who've come from lesser backgrounds, you know, they, where have they got that motivation from? It sometimes it's inbuilt into them, isn't it? Because of like, like they might have had a harsh or harsher upbringing. For example, you look at, um, say, a lot of football managers come from Glasgow, and you know their dad, their dads all worked at the docks and stuff, didn't they? And it's like it's something that's inbuilt into that mindset of some people. It's like, I'm going to grow up. I've got this grit and strength and I'm going to show you. But I, for me, I had to like think I'm not doing it to show other people or prove other people wrong. But for a long time, I probably was and I didn't know it. But now I'm not at that stage and, and it's quite refreshing because it feels like a weight lifted off my shoulders. Yeah, just sort of lighter and better in life, really, which is uh, absolutely where you want to be, isn't it? And um so finally, I guess uh, the problems that you're that you're seeing at the moment that people are having are they um, the sort of problems that people have always been having, or would you say a lot of the problems are sort of born out of the uh, the modern age that we're in, and the sort of new problems that we're still coming to terms with on mass as a, as a society? I think a lot of the problems have probably always been there. I think the main thing for a lot of people is they feel not good enough. It, whatever it is it comes down to the root of feeling not good enough there might be a root cause of that it might be from childhood uh, or something but I think the thing with nowadays is that um, everything is exacerbated more because ultimately we've got a culture which is in your face 24-7 social media is a, a blessing and a curse in equal measure and you know it, 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 you now coping mechanisms are needed more than ever before because escapism is harder to find isn't it it's harder to switch off so everything is is more i don't know it just seems like it's bubbling up to the surface more yeah that's, yeah it's getting harder and harder i suppose isn't it and it's uh as you say it's sort of a relentless assault uh sometimes uh and but it's a blessing as well because it it's opened up communication you know this difficult moment we're all going through now we're we're able to do podcasts and uh, chat to each other and and all of that so it's uh you know double-edged sword like everything i suppose exactly and, and ultimately that comes down to the the things that you do to deal with that like you know we all know ourselves better than anyone else but we are all and you know i always say i'm not an expert right in anything that i do uh, except for i'm an expert in my own life because i'm living it and ultimately you're i'm the one who's able going who's going to be able to get me out of or learn to deal with these situations better yeah yeah and that's uh i suppose that you can only truly know and change yourself can't you really and then once you do you find uh, you see change everywhere um so that's the sort of uh the the motivation really to do it and uh it's unrealistic i think to to imagine that you're going to really change other people or anything exterior to yourself uh at the end of the day fundamentally it's about you it's about you and um that's what you can do 
Yeah, it, uh, it, in, my, it, in my opinion. Yeah, and it could be painful sometimes having to let go of the fact that in some situations, especially where other people's reactions are involved, you probably will never get what you want. <laughs> but then once you start to think that, like I've got friends who I love to bits, but they're never going to turn around to me and say, oh, like, you know, this is a great journey that you've been on. I really think that they're not, I'm not going to get what I want there. And, and why should I be living off that validation anyway? I've met tons of hundreds and hundreds of new people that, I would never have met because I, I put myself out there. And, and one thing I used to do, uh, Phil, was I was a, uh, a massive perfectionist. And that stopped me from doing anything at all because I thought I won't be able to do it perfectly. And I'm not going to try it. Whereas now I try and sometimes it's not great. Uh, like I hardly even edit my podcasts. A lot of people have commented on that. Because um, honestly, I want to keep it authentic and fresh. But the thing that I go by now is I try and say done is better than perfect. Yeah, that's absolutely true, I think. And then having, you know, five things done versus five ideas you've thought about and then let drop because you never took the action is uh, is the worst thing, really, isn't it? Yeah, because when you, you look go out through there, life like that. Exactly. You look out there at other people. I might look at people who do podcasts or other organisations and I might be sat there trying to do something like fiddle with something, make it perfect and put something out on Instagram or whatever. And there's people out there just doing it. And it's like... I think that if you're doing it authentically and like sometimes not putting as much effort into it is actually more authentic because it's more um, immediate, you know, like it's more instinctive, spontaneous. And that's usually uh, in line with your, your core values and the way that you really think. Yeah, absolutely. Rather than trying to project what you think people want to hear and then, you know, you don't really appeal to anyone because you just it's all in your imagination. Yeah, and, and, and the big thing that we've come up in our last group, I suppose, to end with is that um, a lot of people find, and this is exacerbated by social media, they get this what's thing called imposter syndrome, and uh, where you feel like you don't belong or you're not good enough. And, and I get it amongst peers, people who have well-being businesses or, or run up for men's groups. I feel deeply inferior to these people. So I try and move back and... and um, and appreciate the things that I've done, almost like be your, big, your own biggest cheerleader to reevaluate and and kind of just concentrate on playing your own game. You know, if it's right for me and it feels right, then just do it and say done is better than perfect. And that's kind of a, a coping mechanism for me. Yeah. And uh, is, there, is there anything you'd like to tell everyone about, um, about your business uh, before we wrap up? Yeah, well, it's uh, what we call CIC, so community interest company, so kind of like a social enterprise. So, business, uh, I, I would, I, I wonder, I'd like to call it business if I was actually making any money out of it. But hopefully, I'll be able to deliver well-being training for uh, businesses and groups, and hopefully in schools eventually, alongside launching a, a, as a counsellor and, and hopefully making inroads into men's mental health. For example, I hope in like five years time, ten years time that there'll be a, a, a room in every gym where people can book a counselling appointment. You know, then we're putting physical health with mental health, aren't we? And, uh, you know, for, but for now, acceptance, like we mentioned before, I have accepted that what we are delivering are the men's groups and the women's groups, and they're going really, really well. So if I just look at it from that point of view, considering how far I've come and we've come as an organisation, talk about it, mate, it's doing really, really, really well. So that's talkaboutitmate.co.uk, right? 
Yeah, and you'll find us at Talk About It Mate on Twitter and Instagram. Also, Talk About It Mate on Facebook. And our closed Facebook community is called the Talk Space, which is thriving at the moment. So that's another example of how you can connect to people in terms of peer support. All right. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, Mike. Thank you, Phil. That was an absolute pleasure. Cheers, then. Bye. All right. Cheers. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed the show, sign up to get updated whenever a new one comes out. Go to philweston.blog to find out more and uh, please leave comments because feedback keeps things interactive and we love to hear what you've got to say. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.